Welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian, and I pastor Mount Hope's Belmont location. It's good to talk to you today. Do you ever struggle with motivation? You know there's good things you're supposed to do, but how do we get motivated to do those things? For those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, how do we motivate ourselves to do the things that God wants us to do? In this sermon, Pastor Rick Piccarello, Mount Hope's senior pastor and pastor of our Burlington location, shares from the book of Zechariah how we can keep ourselves motivated to do the things that God wants us to do. I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something He would like to say to you. Well, this morning we are continuing in our message, uh, major lessons from the minor uh, prophets. Um, or, as already been pointed out to me this morning, prohets, because there's a spelling mistake on my slides. Um, but we are the prophets. Um, if I was really a prophet, I would have seen that coming. Um, but we are major lessons from the Minor Prophets Overwhelmed series, so we're continuing in that. And this morning I want to talk about message called, What's Your Motivation? What's your motivation? We um, all find ourselves in places at times where we have to motivate others or motivate ourselves. Um, Maybe you're at work and you're on a team of people that you have to motivate at times to, you know, get going. Or maybe you are a parent and you find yourself having to motivate a young child, or maybe an older child, maybe a much older child, to do things like uh, take their dish away from the table, clean their room, do their homework, get a job, get an apartment, get out, um, all kinds of things you're trying to motivate people to do. Or if not, we all at least have to try and motivate ourselves, I mean, there's things in our lives that we have to motivate ourselves towards to get out of bed in the morning. I had to, excuse me, I had to motivate myself last night to start the snowblower at nine o'clock at night uh, in order to get out there and do that um, for the first snow of the year. It wasn't too hard now. February, March, it gets a little harder uh, to motivate myself. I'm much more tempted to just drive over it and hope it melts. Um, but we all have to motivate ourselves for things, right? We're coming up to that time of year. We're closing out one year, about to begin another. Some people will be putting down some goals, making some resolutions. Uh, maybe you're evaluating goals you set in January of 2017. Maybe you're not. Maybe you don't want to look back at the goals you set back there. You've still got a few weeks to finish them if, uh, if you haven't finished them yet. But A lot of us will set goals, and the goal setting is, you know, fairly easy. It's the carrying out part that gets a little difficult, right? It's the meeting the goal that gets a little difficult. And so we have to motivate ourselves to do that. And when we talk about motivation, there's often two different ways we motivate. There's the, uh, we motivate with either reward or consequences, Positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, or probably the most common metaphor is the carrot and the stick, right? The 
people use this with a donkey. That is one of those two ways to, to motivate it comes from moving a donkey. You can either put the carrot out in front of it so he walks towards it, or you can kind of use the stick to motivate him to go. The carrot and the stick, rewards and consequences. So let's do a little bit of an informal poll. How many people would say you are motivated most by rewards? Probably about half, well, a little more than half the room. How many of you say you're motivated more by the consequences? If you really, someone really wants to get you going, it's that so a little less or a little less people are willing to admit because they don't want people using that on them. They're like, they're like that's how I'm motivated, but you don't need to know about it. Um, but it goes both ways, right? I mean, some people are motivated by, hey, if you do this, you're in line for that next promotion, and other people are motivated. If you don't do this, you're fired. And, you know, either one gets used at times. Um, but it's a way to get us going and get us doing what needs to be done. When we come to um, two prophets that we've been looking at the last two weeks, Haggai and now this week, Zechariah, the interesting thing about them is they're both trying to motivate a group of people to do stuff. Uh, to do God's work. And when we come to this topic of motivation spiritually, if we're honest, I think we'd all say that sometimes it's hard to motivate us to continue to stay doing the spiritual work that God has called us to. Uh, sometimes it's easy. You, you, maybe you've... Uh, come to know God and follow God, and hey, it's been easy. I, I just want to know him more. I want to follow him. I want to do whatever he says. I want to learn more about him. I want to pray. I want to read my Bible. But then sometimes it gets a little harder to stay up on that. And how do you keep going? What motivates you to keep going in those times? When we come to Haggai and Zechariah, they are speaking to the people on behalf of God and they're trying to motivate them towards something, but they take two very different approaches. Um, let me remind you again of the setting of where we were. If you uh, were here last week, you remember Pastor Brian spoke on the prophet Haggai. And here's the interesting thing about Haggai and Zechariah. Um, they are both speaking at the exact same time to the exact same people about the exact same thing. They are both speaking in the year 520 B.C. Um, in fact, if you look at uh, the beginning of both of the books, the first, first verse of each book, Haggai 1.1, says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And if you look at Zechariah 1.1, it says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. We know that the second year of Darius was the year 520 B.C. Both speaking at the exact same time, both speaking to the exact same people, and both really talking about the exact same thing. And that was the fact that these people had come back from a time of exile, and they'd been there for 16 years. They'd built their houses, they'd farmed some land, but they didn't build God's God's house. They built their house, but they didn't build God's house. And so God's calling them out on it. He sends these two guys and he calls them out on it. He's basically saying, look, you, you built your houses, you did that stuff, and that's fine, but 
you haven't built my house. Basically, you're saying that I'm your God. You're saying that, you know, I, you're my people, but your lives aren't really reflecting it. You left my house undone. They started a foundation, but that's it. It's overgrown. There's weeds covering it probably. They walk by it. It's embarrassing. The most literal, disgraceful act for them, really. And so God's calling them out on it. He's saying, look, you left my house and you got to... And so last week we looked at Haggai and Haggai's saying, look, you're going to be busy, but make sure you're busy about the things that matter. Don't just be busy about the things of this world, provision, protection, uh, and those things, but make sure you're busy about the things that are most important to God. So Haggai kind of uses the carrot stick approach. Haggai says, look, God speaks through him and says, you haven't built God's house. And so... If you continue not to do this, you're going to continue to have crops that fail. You're going to continue to struggle to get ahead. You're going to continue to feel like your wealth is being put into purses with holes in it that you never have are able to get ahead. There's always more uh, month left at the end of the paycheck than there is paycheck at the end of the month. You're never going to make progress. And that's what there's going to be consequences. He uses the stick approach. But then he also uses the carrot approach. He says, if you will start building God's house, you'll experience blessings, and God will bless you. And so he uses the carrot and the stick to try to get them, hey, look, stop neglecting this. Do the work of God. And we said that God says the same thing to us. Don't get so busy about all the things you have to do in this world that you neglect the really important work that God has called you to. So Zechariah comes on the scene, and he's speaking to the exact same people at the exact same time about the exact same thing. Using, God's using Zechariah to call him out and say, you're not building God's house, and you need to do something about that. But he takes a very different approach to motivation. He doesn't use the carrot and the stick approach He uses an approach that I guess the only thing, the best way I could describe it is the big picture approach. He uses the big picture approach to basically tell them, you don't understand. All you see is one little slice of time and history, but you are missing a big picture. And if you would see the big picture, then you would get about the work that God's calling you to. It's kind of like in our world, Um, where we have very specialized jobs in very large companies sometimes, you can feel disconnected from the big picture. So, you know, I think of like, uh, there's been a lot of talk about GE since they've decided to move their world headquarters to Boston. And GE has got to be one of the largest companies in the world, I would imagine. And so it's a big deal when they move their company here. But I think about like all the people that work at GE. And there's probably some guy, some engineer someplace that works on one small part that's part of another part that's part of another part that eventually goes into an aircraft engine that eventually goes on to an aircraft. And that guy could get very discouraged coming to work just working on his little part if he just thinks about 
This is just, this is what I do. I just come and I work on this cog. I work on this, you know, I design it, I test it, I work on it, but this is what I do. What do you do? Well, I work on this part, you know, and and that's what I do. So a wise leader in his company is probably going to say, no, no, Joe, you don't just work on this part. You are making people fly. You are a part of making people fly, and you give them, and you expand the vision. And all of a sudden, Joe's like, yeah, I got to go to work. I make people fly. And that's kind of what Zechariah's doing. He's saying, you know, you're not seeing the big picture here. There was a story years back when uh, President John F. Kennedy um, was touring the NASA uh, uh, space program headquarters. It wasn't then called the Kennedy Center. Um, He was touring NASA's uh, headquarters there, and he's walking through the building, and he comes across a man who he doesn't know who they are, everyone who works there, of course. So he comes across a man who happens to be a janitor. And uh, he says to the janitor, you know, uh, what do you do here? And the janitor's response was, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And what an awesome, like, what an awesome, like, perspective of your job. I'm not coming here to sweep floors or to mop floors or to clean up. I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And because when you get the big picture, like, that can motivate you more than anything else. And so Zechariah comes onto the scene, and he doesn't take the approach of Haggai. He doesn't do the stick. He doesn't do the carrot. He presents a big picture. In fact, Zechariah, if you've never read it, and I'm going to guess many of us maybe have not spent a whole lot of time in the book of Zechariah, um, but I'll just tell you it's 14 chapters filled with like nine different visions and dreams that he has. It's, and it's a, it's a confusing and can be hard book to understand, and we are not going to get into nine different visions and dreams in one Sunday morning message. But I say that to say that Zechariah takes a completely different approach than Haggai. It's much more metaphorical. It's much more vision and pictures and see the big picture of things because we all want to be part of something bigger, don't we? I think a lot of younger people that have joined the workforce now um, some of the maybe older generation, the boomer generation or beyond that, doesn't always understand the younger workforce because the younger workforce isn't satisfied a lot of times with simply a paycheck to put food on the table and a roof over their heads. They aren't satisfied with Segway scooters at work or coffee bars or ping pong tables or video games at work. They want to know that they're a part of something bigger. They want to know that they are making a difference someplace. And so Zechariah really kind of appeals to that within people to say, you are a part of something bigger. So I want to share with you this morning real quickly just three metaphors or visions. He has nine of them. I'm not going into all of them. I'm just going to share like three things that that Zechariah gives them to show them that they are a part of a bigger plan. And the three things are a crown, a branch, and a donkey. A crown, a branch, and a donkey. And uh, I think those three things Zechariah uses to try and motivate people. And the first one is the crown. In Zechariah chapter 6, verse 11, God says through Zechariah, is one of his visions, he says, take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, I read that, and you probably think, 
okay, fine, let's move on. That doesn't mean anything to me. What's the big deal? You're putting a crown on somebody's head. No big deal, nothing, nothing to see here. What else do you have for me? But actually, those three lines are really earth-shattering and would be completely offensive to the people that Zechariah is speaking to, and here's why. Because the crown is for a king, not a priest. And you don't mix kings and priests in Zechariah's day. You have people who serve as priests, who make a way for the people to relate to God, and then you have someone who serves as a king. But you don't bring them together. In fact, Anytime they were brought together, it was pretty disastrous. Uh, There was a guy named Uzziah at one point who was the king, but then he went into the temple and started doing priestly things. He started burning incense and doing stuff that only priests are supposed to do. And he was, the priests came in and they're like, whoa, 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 we know you're the king, but but you got to get out of here. This isn't your place. And before he left, he was struck with leprosy because this was not his role. There's another man named Saul who was king at one point. And uh, he couldn't wait anymore before going into battle, so he started making the sacrifices that only the priest is supposed to make. And God said, no, now the throne and the crown is going to be taken away from you because you have acted in a way that only the priests are supposed to act. So for a crown to be put on the head of a priest and for this to come from the word of God is outlandish. So what is Zechariah doing here? What Zechariah is doing is he's painting that bigger picture and he's saying, look, there's a time coming when there is going to be a priest who is a king. There's a time coming when there is going to be a priest king who is going to rule. And what he's basically saying is this work that you're doing on this temple that you think is just about you, that you think is just about, well, we got to build this building. Okay, if we have to build this building and God wants us to build it, I guess we'll build it. Like if you think it's just about you, it's not just about you. What you don't know is there's a time coming when there's a priest king coming. Now, they don't know the time frame. They don't know what's coming in the future. And when Zechariah looks at history, as a prophet. There's no depth of field for the prophets. That's the best way I can describe it. There's no depth of field. Like you've got your, uh, some of you get, you know, you get your iPhone and you put it in portrait mode and all of a sudden you get, you know, everything's blurred in the background. You get a depth of field there. For a prophet, when he looks at history, there's no depth of field. Everything's kind of seen as coming, but not knowing when it's coming. And so he says there's a priest king coming. And he talks about it like he's coming tomorrow, but he has no idea that it's not until 520 years later that a baby will be born in a manger and that his mom and his stepfather, Mary and Joseph, will bring him into that temple. And that he will come into that temple as a priest king. It's not until uh, 550 years later that he will walk in and turn over the tables in that temple and say, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. It's not until 550 years later that he will be brought in and tried in that temple and eventually condemned to to be crucified. 
But they think it's just about them. They think it's just about their little work on the temple. And he's saying, no, 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 no. This temple needs to be built because you are a part of God's bigger plan. You are a part of what God is doing and revealing in history. And so you need to do this and you need to build this. See, it's not all about you. It's about what God is working out in all of history. It's the crown that will one day be on a priest. See, Jesus serves as both the priest and the king. In one way, he's the priest. He doesn't make a sacrifice. He becomes a sacrifice so that we can have a way to God. And yet, he's also king, ruling over all creation, ruling over all creation. Now, you say, well, it doesn't seem like he's king yet. It doesn't seem like he rules over everything. Remember, no depth of field. They saw the first coming and the second coming of Jesus as one event. So they talk about it as one event, no depth of field. It's just this is what is going to come. This is the plan that God is going to work out. So he gives them this image of the crown and saying it's bigger than you think, but then he also gives them an image of a branch. In the very next verse, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12, he says, and, I, and say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne and there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And you say, well, what's with the branch? Well, in scripture, the branch is often a metaphor, a picture of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 11, this might be a passage you're a little bit more familiar with, It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is what's on Christmas cards sometimes this time of year. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by his eyes see or decide disputes by what he hears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And so the branch, the branch that Zechariah talks about is he's saying, look, there's one coming. It's not about just this temple here. There's one coming. It's this branch who is going to build a temple that's going to extend way out beyond this temple. He's going to build a temple whose presence of God is not contained in a building, but is contained in the people who worship and follow him. And his temple extends out beyond this. And there's this branch. Isaiah says a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse. You say, well, what does that mean? Jesse was the father of David. And there was no king at the time, so it was, in a sense, the tree was cut off, but a shoot comes up out of the stump. Well, it means that the king that's coming will be in the line of David. Well, if you remember the Christmas story, the reason Jesus was born in Bethlehem was because Joseph was of the house and line of David and had to return to Bethlehem for the census because a shoot was coming up, a branch out of the line of Jesse, that 520 years after the time of Zechariah, God is bringing about his plan. And so he's telling these people, keep working. Don't stop working on the temple because it's not about you here and now. It's about this huge, big plan. 
So then there's a, there's a crown, there's a branch, but then there's a donkey. There's a donkey. We started out with how to motivate a donkey with a carrot and a stick. Uh, but uh, Zechariah talks about a donkey too. And in Zechariah 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the next verse says, I will, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one who mourns only for a child and weep bitterly over him as one over a firstborn. That one's from Zechariah 12. One whom they have pierced. Here comes this one riding on a donkey who would be pierced. This king, Zechariah is speaking over 500 years before Jesus would come and yet these would be fulfilled. This is usually an Easter passage, not a Christmas passage. But here's what the prophet's talking about. The week that Jesus would be crucified, at the beginning of that week, we call it Palm Sunday. Jesus, the priest king, would come into Jerusalem riding not on a war horse, not on some prestigious steed, not in some processional. He would come riding on a beast of burden. He'd come riding on a donkey riding into Jerusalem and coming into this temple that 520 years earlier, Zechariah is trying to motivate these people to build. And the point is that Zechariah is saying, you are a part of a much larger plan. You are not just about what is going on now. It all points to the bigger picture of salvation and here's what Zechariah is, you know, what God's basically saying to these people, that these tired, hungry, weary, former exiles with their broken down walls, unfinished buildings, worn out clothes, get to play a part in God's big plan to bring his Messiah, peace, and healing to the nations. And they look at themselves and you look, well, we're, we're nothing special. I mean, we don't have any, you know, it's not, Nehemiah hasn't come yet. There's no walls in the city. They're just kind of a ragtag bunch of people just trying to survive. And Zechariah says, no, 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 no. You are a part of God's salvation plan throughout history. So get to work on what he's called you to do right now. The work of God in your life and in my life is sometimes hard work. And sometimes we can get focused on just the here and now. It's hard work growing faith and character. It's hard work standing up for Jesus in a culture that more and more doesn't reward that. In fact, just the opposite, you can suffer consequences for it. As we just prayed for Pastor Raymond, it's hard work going and taking the gospel to places in the world that is not open to it. It's not easy. So how do you keep going? Well, you can keep going with the carrot and the stick. And, and I'm not speaking against that. Scripture talks about rewards and consequences for when we follow the Lord and follow his ways. But there's also another motivation, and that motivation is the big picture, that you and I 
are a part of a salvation story that God is still working out. That these guys in 520 BC built the temple, that Jesus came, was dedicated in that temple as a baby. He talked to religious leaders when he was 12 years old. His parents were looking for him, and he was in the temple talking with religious leaders. Came in and turned over the tables, as I mentioned. He reasoned in the temple into this place, and then Jesus gave his life on a cross, died, resurrected, and he entrusted the growth of his church and the kingdom to these ragtag bunch of followers hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem. And it goes out to the world and throughout history and billions and billions of people come to follow him and put their trust in him. And you are a part of a bigger plan. And God is still working it out. God is still working out this plan. Some of the things that Zechariah talks about, that this one will bring peace to the nations and all that, it hasn't happened yet. I know it. But remember, no depth of field. They saw the first coming of Jesus Christ, but they didn't see this period in between that God has allowed of grace, that many would come and turn to him and put their faith and trust in him before Jesus comes again. That's why when you read in the minor prophets, sometimes it doesn't make sense when you read about Jesus coming. It says, well, he didn't come like that. He, it was a baby in a manger and no one knew about it and no one really paid attention to it and it was a small event that happened in this small place. Why does it sound like it's something that everyone would hear about and everyone would know and the entire world is gonna change that moment? Because the first and the second coming and their depth of field were right beside each other. And one has happened and one will happen. And so we're a part of this larger plan that God has been putting together, his larger redeeming work. And so our challenge today is to be motivated to understand the larger picture. Because sometimes in the daily stuff of life, even the daily stuff of following God, we lose perspective. A couple times in our lives, a couple times in our marriage, Wendy and I have sat down with a financial planner just to kind of look at the picture of where you're at, right? And um, we, you know, we sit down, and that can be kind of a scary process. And you sit down with them, and you're like, okay, when do you want, you know, when do you think you're going to stop working? And, and then they come back, and they're like, you know, here's where, you know, your money that you have saved is going to run out after you stop working. And for us, it's like a week from Tuesday, but it's... You know, they're like, this is, this is where it's going to run out. And, and that's a scary process, but here's what it does. When you start looking at the bigger picture of what's happening down the road, it affects the decisions you make today. And that's what Zechariah is doing. Zechariah is saying, this is what God is doing in the big picture. So now grab a shovel, grab a trowel, grab a brick, and start building the temple because it affects what you do today. And so for you and I, Jesus is coming back. God is still working out his salvation plan. God is still wanting to reach humanity, men and women, with his message of hope and salvation. So start talking to people. Start doing the work of the Lord. Start building and working on the God, work that God has called you to. See, the message here is that you and I are not just about 
the things that we often see in front of us, that there's a bigger plan. You may serve in various capacities. And maybe you come into this church on a Sunday morning and you say, well, I'm, I'm just a kid's teacher. No, you're not. You're not a, just a kid's teacher. You are someone who is taking the eternal word of the creator in the universe, of universe and planting it in the seeds of the next generation so that they will rise up and take that out to a needy world and share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. You say, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom with my kids. No, you're not. You are shepherding and guiding and raising up children who will become changers of the world that they live in and reflect the worldview and the theology that you place in them. And you are developing the Holy Spirit and his gifts within them to go out and use them. Oh, well, I'm just a, a greeter at the door. You know, anyone can hand out programs. No, you're not. You are expressing and showing hospitality and love and reflecting the love of and welcoming God and letting them know that just like you have an open door into this building, that God gives you an open door into his presence. You are, we are more about, there's a bigger picture than what God is working, what God is working out than we often see. Well, I'm, you know, I'm just, I just go to work. That's all I do. My job's not any significance. No, you're not. You are salt and light in a place where God has providentially and intentionally placed you to show and share the love of Jesus in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. You are a part of God's bigger plan. You are a part of what God is working out. You're there for a reason. God has a purpose for you where he has placed you. I just make coffee and bring some donuts. What I do doesn't make much of a difference. No, you're not. You are a person that is making people feel welcome and fostering relationships in the body of Christ so that we can grow together and love each other well. Don't lose the larger picture of what God is working out. Ephesians chapter 2 is the last scripture I'll share with you this morning. Paul, so New Testament, if you're uh, tracking, this is, this is after Jesus, after the cross. This is, we're talking about 570 years after Zechariah's time. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And when Jesus came and became the only sacrifice that would ever be needed for our sins, there's no longer any need for a physical temple. Now the church of God is the temple, not the place of sacrifice, but the place where God's presence dwells, the place where God's spirit lives. Not the place of animal sacrifices, but it is the place that we become a living sacrifice 
for the work that God has called us to. And so you and I are the temple of God, where God's spirit dwells, and he wants to use us to reach the world around us. So we are called and motivated, not to be motivated like a donkey with a carrot and a stick, but motivated with a crown, a branch, and a donkey. A picture that says God is working out his bigger plan, and you are a part of it. And so play your part. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I'm just, you know, I just, I go home and pray. And that's all I do. Nobody knows about my prayers. It doesn't make much of a difference. Yes, it does. Because you are not just praying. You are bringing the needs of people before the face of the almighty God who can intervene and move heaven and earth in any situation. You have the ear of the creator of the universe. You are a part of a bigger plan. Well, we're just a small group of people meeting here in a large you know, city that's, that's part of an even larger region and metropolis. What difference can we make? Well, there are 12 people meeting in Jerusalem at one point, scared. We're a bunch of ragtag bunch of people in Jerusalem 520 years before that with no walls and holes in their clothes and hungry. And yet God has used it to reach the nations. And he's still doing that. So open up your eyes to the larger picture of what God wants to do through us. And ask our music ministry to return as we close in prayer. And we are going to sing a song that reminds us that God has called us to faithfully serve him and to follow him. Would you stand with me and allow me to pray for you? And maybe you're here today, this morning, and the work's been hard for you because, well, maybe you don't know why because, but maybe it's because we have been focusing too much on the small picture and we need God to open our eyes to the larger picture of what he is doing and whatever role and part he has us to play in it. Father, we come before you today and we recognize that, Lord, this is the way you have always worked in history. It's always been people carrying out and doing the daily work that you have called them to that has made amazing impacts on the world and on history, God. And so we pray that we also would be numbered among the faithful, that our lives would make a difference, not just in this world, not just that people would remember us after we die, but there would be an eternal significance that lives on and echoes throughout the halls of eternity forever for Jesus' sake. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing this song of worship together. Thank you again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus. At Mount Hope, we gather each week to learn more about God, grow in our love of God and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts area, we'd love to have you join us. We meet Sunday mornings in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
and Sunday mornings in Belmont at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at our website, www.mounthope.org.